Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a Wednesday book. I talked to Glenn Maurice with Nathan Baird. As you know by now, Nathan is in California. I am not. We're talking about Ohio State offense and Utah defense today. And Nathan uh, did send some great texts to our tech subscribers. Again, it's a great time to be a tech subscriber. 614. 614- 3503315 and he made a snarky Disney comment in the text and he said Doug will uh ask him and make him feel bad for not knowing who Goofy's wife is and I just again it's like if anybody was paying attention you would know that Goofy is not married but he has had some flings with Clarabelle Cow so I mean again I'm, I'm here to educate but we're mostly here to talk about football and I can't get over the, the Cade Stover thing. So let's like start there. Like I can't get over Claire Buckow and I can't get over Cade Stover. So, yeah, I feel like I misread that when I saw it at practice on Tuesday. It didn't surprise me. He was there. He worked there against Michigan. But we asked Kevin Wilson about it today. And the way I, some other people have I've seen tweeting about it. You know, I know he he says that it's I guess it's two separate things. Number one, I didn't realize that it was a permanent for this week. He's playing only linebacker because that wasn't the case against Michigan. He was still primarily a tight end. He still played tight end reps and then got the one snap in at linebacker. It was just like an emergency thing. And that's sort of what you assumed would maybe be at play. Kevin Wilson says he is playing only linebacker this week. And now part of that is that Cody Simon is completely out of the picture. We were at practice today. He was not there. Um, I don't even know if he's with the team. He certainly has not been at practice. So that's part of this, that they are that thin at linebacker that uh, in a in a real way that they maybe just need that body. And as we'll talk in a minute, it may he may be specifically a guy that can help them in a way that some of the linebackers they already have couldn't in, in an extension of what we talked about yesterday. So he's playing only linebacker this week, but to me that means that make gives me even more questions for for next season because then he goes on to say, well, we'll re-examine what his role is after the bowl, and they'll come up with a plan for him for the spring. But kind of echoing your comments, you know, he's very much in the in the uh, school of you got to give this guy 
a real identity and tell him what he's doing. We can't just keep bouncing him back and forth. But he also speaks about him in a way that makes you think this isn't just a dalliance that, you know, he talks about like he, you know, I don't know what's going to happen and it's going to kind of be up to Stover what he wants to do. But, you know, he really brings some energy to the defense and he seems to like playing linebackers. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting discussion. We spent a lot of time today talking to Ohio State's offensive coordinator about a guy who is only playing defense this week and maybe moving back there. And again, Kevin Wilson is a tight ends coach. So, I mean, he has primary knowledge of this situation and certainly is a major part of the decision. But if Kate Stover is not a tight end next year, I, I don't, don't want to go too far with this, but are they just deciding that tight end doesn't matter that much, that they're just not going to throw to tight ends. They're going to have three receivers on the field all the time. They need to have somebody in there who can do the blocking stuff they need to do. But it is a, I mean, again, this is a little bit, you know, like Zach Boren one time was a fullback at Ohio State and then wound up playing linebacker at the end. It's like, well, we don't really use fullbacks anymore. I'm not saying it's to that extent, but, you know, we have talked about this all the time. This is a receiver offense right now. Is it almost like is Cade Stover too valuable, potentially, of a football player to be used at tight end. Cause in the end, I mean, in the end, again, like if we could, like they didn't use, they, they did not use Jeremy Ruckert in his career here the way he should have been used. Jeremy Ruckert is a better football player than the way he's been used here. And I know he's a good blocker, but come on, man. Like they could have gotten, they should have gotten him the ball much more than they have. So I don't know. Is this indicative at all of just how Ohio State is going to play offensive football? Yeah, and when Kevin Wilson puts it out there that, you know, hey, we'll see what happens next year, you know, my natural follow-up to that was, so, so wait, are you saying that, like, if if Stover moves to linebacker, are you good with that linebacker, with that tight end room next year? Because it's going to be G. Scott, who will be in his second year playing the position, but really has not repped there in games much this year. And Kevin Wilson was talking today that, that G. Scott is still has to grow, that he's a strong enough guy, but still needs just more size and just more um, learning kind of the, the emphatic way that you use your body to play tight end. Uh, you've got a couple guys in Joe Royer and Sam Hart, a redshirt freshman and a true freshman right now, who, again, have not seen the field very much. And you've got Bennett Christian coming in as a true freshman. Like So that's that's your room. And as, you, as we talked a couple weeks ago with, with Ryan Day, and you made a, a, a note about the numbers that they want at every position – Kevin Wilson brought that up again today and said they want five tight ends. So right now he talked about Stover maybe being the fifth tight end in, you know, to finish that off. And I asked, well, do you need to then look at the portal? But then he also said, well, a final decision on Stover might not come until, you know, later in the spring. And by then who knows what's actually going on in the portal? Like, you know, people, the best tight ends will probably have decided what they're doing by then. Uh, so I think you probably bring up a good point that this may be somewhat philosophically related to them just reexamining how they're apportioning. And they already, you could kind of say they've already done it with the way they recruit, right? Yeah. To some extent, like, you know, Jeremy Rucker was the last like big tight end that they've gone after. Like when I say big, I mean like, you know, highly ranked tight end that they've gotten anyway. They've gone after a couple others, but there's a reason why they don't land those guys. And I think they would rather take the more developmental guy who is going to do the 
the blocking and stuff that they need those guys to do and then be the very occasional passing threat rather than try to convince a guy that he's going to come here and get the ball thrown to him a lot. So if if you don't need Stover to do that, and his he's still a little bit of a work in progress even with that, right? If, if you don't need him to do that and he can help you a linebacker, I guess that makes sense. But it just does seem to leave them, if not thin at tight end, certainly uh, – not with an exciting group of guys. I guess that all depends on then what you think G Scott can do in his second year at tight end, but it may make G Scott your starting tight end next year or Joe Royer. And the I uh, one this- I should mention real quick, I should mention real quick, Mitch Rossi also could come back. He would have another year to come back. He did go on scholarship this year. And if he, um, he has that COVID year that he could use next year, but Wilson said that he hasn't made a decision yet, whether he will do that or not. I mean, it's part of it. I, I understand this is how it works sometimes, and there have been examples of this. But there's just there's a few too many guys on this roster at the moment to me that feel like are in between, and like I, I don't like that. And I don't feel this is to me this is what lesser programs do that you're just like desperately trying to take good football players and find the right spots for them because like well maybe you could do this maybe you could do that and like. Ohio State, you just have like a bunch of five-star guys at every position, and then you figure it out and you go there. And that uh, I, I don't, I don't love it. I'm not. It's not a huge deal, but I don't like. Cade Stover's going to be one of their top linebackers next year as a guy who played tight end all of this year, and then you're going to have the guy who you thought was going to be your number one tight end next year now is on defense. Like I don't. These these are like guys who are sort of first line guys who are searching for homes. I don't, I, I don't love it. Okay, let's talk about. Ohio State offensive guys first, because there seems to be a decent number of interesting things with the Utah defensive guys. But what's the vibe, Nathan? Go ahead. I was going to say the, the, the one other thing we might want to talk about with Stover was at practice today. Where you, I don't know if you were going to get to this. At practice today, he was lining up alongside Eichenberg and um, Steel Chambers in like a Sam linebacker scenario. As like a starting like first team linebacker. They weren't like running scrimmage stuff, so I'm I'm always hesitant to say what's first team, what's second team. But that, I mean, they were all three of them together. It was a tight, it was a three linebacker group that they were running drills through. So that would, you know, as as we talked about yesterday when we were talking about Ohio State maybe needing to play three linebackers against Utah. My big question was, okay, but which of those guys is an outside linebacker? And we weren't including. Um, Kate Stover in that conversation. And now if you include him in that conversation, maybe that makes a little bit more sense. You don't have to then try to convert one of your inside guys outside on the fly. I don't remember off the top of my head where Stover repped more when he was an outside linebacker or when he was in the linebacker room, if he got more Sam time. Um, But if that would start to then maybe make some sense that you have a guy who's a little bit more um, athletic, but also stout enough to, to play linebacker and you could put him out there in space and maybe he would be more comfortable there than fighting through stuff inside. I don't know, but that was just an intriguing thing. If you think Ohio state is going to have to go to some, some three linebacker formations, then pulling him onto that side of the ball makes even more sense that it isn't just depth. It isn't just an emergency thing that for this matchup in particular, maybe if they were playing a, a team that's structured differently, an opponent that's structured differently, they wouldn't feel the need to do that this week. But with him and what he could do, what he, how he could help them against Utah, maybe that makes even more sense. No, I think that's an important point. I think that's an important point. But again, it's one of those things. It's like, well, is it easier to move like a a Mike or Will linebacker outside, or is it easier to move a 
tight end to linebacker. It's like, okay, well, I guess we'll get him with a tight end to linebacker. So um, I, I know what you're saying. It's like, st- they just have Eichenberg and Chambers, especially, and Taraja Mitchell, again, are just, are, are more physically equipped to play inside. So, so I get it. I get it. I, I don't, I don't want to make too big of a deal of it, but I will be curious to read this evolving situation over the next several months and into spring practice as is it indicative of anything? And it very well may not be, but we shall see. All right, let's talk about offense. Let's talk about what Ohio state sort of had to say about the idea that they're not going to have Garrett Wilson. They're not going to have Chris Olave, but they're going to try to play Ohio state offense. What do we have any sense of how we think the receiver snaps in the Rose bowl might actually shake out. And are they just going, are they going to be the same Ohio state passing attack we've seen all year, just with different dudes in the lineup? Well, I mean, it, I, I think the approach will still probably be roughly the same. Um, I, they, no, nothing has come out. You know, we didn't have any conversations about specificity of, you know, who's going to rep more. Um, but I think that in some ways, you know, as much as you're trying to win this game, this is also the offense they're going to put on the field next year. I mean, this is the skill position group that they're going to put on the field next year. So um, whatever this, whatever they would have to do with it next year to win this game is what I guess they'll do with it on Saturday to try to win this game. It's a um, or a Sunday. It's it's an interesting group from a because I. I I, the the one thing I'm I'm curious about is how much they maybe let Jackson Smith and Jigba play outside, and Kevin Wilson was asked that today, and he didn't. Uh, from what when I was at his table, didn't have anything to say about that. Um, but if if you get him outside a little bit, and now you're moving him in and out, getting different matchups with him, he's kind of the. The, the wild card there that I think that they could use in an interesting way. And it allows you to maybe get ham and Egbuka on the field at the same time. Um, if you're not comfortable putting Egbuka outside, but I, everything that we're hearing right now is, is a lot of confidence, obviously, which is what they're probably going to say. But I think they feel that way that, <clears throat> excuse me, that these young guys are just, it, it's going to be their turn soon. Anyway, it was going to be their turn, you know, first week of September next year. And now it's just starting one game earlier. All right, so you said C.J. Stroud, and and I completely understand this. We're not saying C.J. Stroud is wrong here. Probably tired of talking to the media a little bit, but he was brought out again today. Anything new from C.J. Stroud that he didn't say at Disneyland two days ago? I'll be honest with you. I spent a lot of time at Kevin Wilson's table, and because we, we've had C.J. so much lately, so um, I, I didn't get a lot with him. I tried to stop by. There's a particular story that I'm working on kind of about his origins and one of his first coaches and that it's going to run later this week. And so I, I wanted to stop by and, and, and talk to him a little bit about that. Um, but I, I didn't I didn't spend a lot of time with CJ today, to be honest. All right. Thayer Munford at left tackle, getting to go out at the position that he played for most of his career here at Ohio State. Thayer, one of the guys who spoke today, is he is he jacked up or what? Yeah, I, he, I, I think the comment was something along the lines of it feels like I'm back home getting to move back out to left tackle, you know, as, as people probably remember, he was here in 2018, but wasn't playing in 2018. He had a back injury. Josh Alabi had to step in and play left tackle. And that was um, a, a rough time for him. He had really, you know, fought to become the, the starting left tackle and, and make an impact. And then 
that comes up and, and he has to sit and, and watch. And um, now obviously things worked out well for him in the long run. He was able to go on and do a lot of other good things at Ohio state. And especially once he got that back situation fixed though, it, it took a little while. So I think he is, is seeing this come a little bit full circle that he gets to now come back here and play in the Rose bowl. And if, you know, it, it's a luxury that Ohio state has, frankly, that if, you know, you can have Nicholas Petit Frere, your starting left tackle say, um, I'm skipping out because I'm going off to the NFL. And then your, your next two options are either the guy who started there the last three plus years, or the guy who's going to start there next year, who everyone thinks might be as good or better than any of them. So I, I, I it's going to be, um, Wilson did say that Paris Johnson is the second guy up at left tackle. He was asked, you know, did you guys think about just moving him out there, starting him there, going, you know, fully into what you're going to see next year? And he said that because of, you know, the, the difference between the right hand, um, you know, going from right hand to left hand, the different stances that you're in, and also just sort of the, the gravity of the game, um, the, 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 the importance of the game in, in their eye, um, the, the, the stress of the game, I think is the way he said it, the stress of the moment, that they didn't feel like that was – the right move for them at this time, just put, put Mumford out there. You get another game of Matt Jones playing left guard and then one last game with the kind of this lineup intact and then move on to next year. Okay. Anybody else from the Ohio state offensive side of the ball that we need to run through Trayvon Henderson, one of the guys available today, just so people understand this, let's just take a little two second break up little inside baseball. So again, a lot of the, the, the semifinals, for the college football life, I've gone all remote for all these interviews and I've been on some of those and they've always done this at bowls. You get offensive side of the ball and defensive side of the ball. And the next day you flip flop. And normally it's like everybody is sort of at their own table for like a full, either half an hour or 45 minutes. And what they're doing at the semifinals is it's been 15 minutes of a coordinator on a zoom and then five minutes per player after that it's bare or they put three players on the zoom at once and they all get five minutes. It's like really weird. And it's not very productive out here at, out at the Rose bowl where Nathan is. And again, Nathan is the only person who went for us. We normally have, I mean, Steven and Nathan are at every game. I'm at most games and we just didn't go with the full load of people this year because it's not a playoff game. It is a COVID situation. We didn't know what was going to be live and what was going to be remote. So Nathan is doing the work of three people and trying to run around and and cover this team. Was it 45 minutes or a half an hour? Which was it for each team? Was it 30 or 45? Half an hour. And everybody goes at the same time. So it's Kevin Wilson and then five players, but everybody's sitting at a separate table at the same time. And they all, and the clock starts at the same time. So there was just so much to ask Kevin Wilson about. And then as it turned out, things that we needed to ask him about what we had already asked him about when it, we came to things like Cade Stover. So that, it, you know, you're, you're trying to kind of budget your time and I don't have five tape recorders that I can, I can, or micro cassettes that I, or whatever we call them now that I can spread around the room. Uh, so I was trying to kind of keep time and um, but I was using my phone to, to uh, record Kevin Wilson. And then I was thinking like, oh, it's probably been about 15 minutes. I need to split off. And then they announced five minutes left because <laughs> it's Kevin Wilson. Like it goes by fast. Like before you know it, sometimes you run out of time. So I had to kind of scramble to get around to some of the other tables and, and get a few things in. So, uh, yeah, it's it's it is what it is. Um, but it's uh, I'll take it. I mean, it, it, we don't get 
a lot of access to people like Kevin Wilson, like Matt Barnes. We hadn't been talking to assistant coaches recently. So to get some insight from them um, about things beyond just what's going to happen this week was useful. And, and, you know, the players at bowl sites, it's good if you're trying to work a feature story. Maybe you can get a player and you can ask some personal, you know, their background, their motivations, their families, what they think about things. But if you're trying to get information about the team, you've got to stay with the coaches because the coaches have the information. And, and we are this, you know, sometimes, Nathan, you're in information gathering mode and sometimes you're in feature story mode. It does just feel like there's like a a lot of information that, you know, the guys who aren't playing on offense, the fact that a new defensive system and coordinator is coming in, there is a lot to try to be gleaned about like sort of what's up that it's not just, and I know you, like you said, you're working on a feature story on CJ Stroud, but it's not only feature story time uh, at a bowl like this. So you're trying to gather news and Kevin Wilson is the best place to get that. Yeah. And there were even things like I was hanging around his table longer than I wanted to actually, because there were some things I wanted to ask him about that um, I have to actually go back and look at the um, the transcript of what I took because uh, I don't know if someone else ended up asking, but once they kind of gave us a heads up that we were running out of time, I had to just break off and uh, I'll ask those questions hopefully uh, down the line sometime. But um, just some guys that, you know, questions that I think are kind of lingering unanswered into the off season. So um, you, you do what you can. You're trying to just get a lot of information. And I know because of our tech subscribers, 614-350-3315, um, I'm just trying to get those kind of tidbits and get those back to them as soon as I can. Because I think that more so than, hey, how do you guys feel? You know, what's the funnest thing you did at Disneyland? I think they want to know more. Like, you know, uh, do you think, you know, are you going to maybe use uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba outside next year? Or, you know, I was trying to get a question into Kevin Wilson about Harry Miller, that kind of thing. Like, I think that's what our our subscribers want to know the most who is uh so like are both are both dispatch guys there are rabinowitz and kaufman both there yes 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 we are one of the few outlets that covers the team a lot that only has one person here i would say okay i know landis isn't there so true bill landis is not here his 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 uh his presence is missed because that's who i would be talking to about baseball cards too all week um but yeah um a lot of other outlets do have a couple people here. Is does uh does Letterman Row have two, or is it just Austin? Uh, Tim May today came uh, swooping in like Superman uh, as interviews were about to start. That was the first time I'd seen him this week. So uh, yeah, the, the, he he showed up, uh, came riding in on uh on his white horse or whatever, and he probably literally does have a white horse back home that he rides around. But yeah, well he had a he had a horse that died one time and they had, they buried it in the yard and they didn't dig the hole deep enough. And there was like a giant mound in the yard with a horse body in it. So that's a classic Tim May story. His, the, the, the May family uh, is a big horse riding family. If, I don't know if you knew that or if you were just uh, figuratively just speaking about, yeah. Hey, safe assumption. So, and the thing is, and Kevin Wilson enjoys talking, which we enjoy listening, but he sometimes gives long answers, which is, yeah. is if you're trying to run through a bunch of topics, it's not the most helpful thing. Yes, and it's very much also the, the, the crowd safer. Because then later when I was talking to uh, Utah's defensive coordinator, there was some of those like awkward pauses of like, he gets done with an answer and then like there's a few people standing around. It's like, who's going to ask the next question? Whereas there's so many Ohio State media there that when Kevin's done with one sentence, there's a question like right on top of that. So it goes pretty, pretty rapid fire through the whole time he's there. 
All right. Anything else from the Ohio State offense that you want to throw out to the Buckeye talk folks here? I know Trevion was there. I know Jackson Smith and Jigba was there. CJ, Jeremy Ruckert was there. Uh, and Thayer Munford, I think, were the five. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to look back through my notes since you. Uh, hey, notes. You took notes. Having done, I, yeah, <laughs> I took yeah, notes yesterday yeah. too. I just didn't have them uh, sitting next to me. No, it was. It, I think we covered most of the of the stuff. Um, you know, I I, I did uh, get a chance to ask Kevin Wilson about um, how yesterday Andy Ludwig, the Utah offensive coordinator, was joking about how people complain he doesn't throw the wide receivers enough. He throws the tight end too much. And if he was jealous of that, since he experiences the opposite and he made some joke about, Hey, we throw to him during warmups. So, um, but maybe throwing to them less, even during warmups as we, as we talked about earlier on this podcast. All right. We will take a uh, quick break here on Buckeye talk. We'll come back and talk about what's going on with the Utah defense next after this. Doug and Nathan, we're going to have uh, two more podcasts this week. The Thursday pod will be sort of a Rose Bowl-based rapid fire, and Stephen will be uh, back along for that one. So there'll be the three of us on Thursday taking questions from our tech subscribers. And then Friday, they have the final coaches news conference in the morning that ends, I think, at 9, 10 Pacific time. And as soon as Nathan is done writing whatever needs to write off of that, uh, Nathan, Stephen, and I will jump on together on Friday and do our picks. And that Friday pod will get up as, as quick as possible. You'll have at least like 26 hours to listen to it between kickoff uh, before kickoff on Saturday. So those are the two podcasts still coming your way this week. Morgan Scally is the Utah defensive coordinator. He is, uh, I think, a secondary guy by trade, played at Utah under Urban Meyer, and has been at Utah his entire coaching career. And I know there's just been enough, you know, Ohio State defensive coordinator movement in the last several years that Morgan Scally is a name that I know people have sent me many times over the years. I think, you know, like when Luke Fickle left and then when Greg Schiano left and then, you know, when, when Ryan Day was getting started, then when Jeff Halfley left, it's like, oh, Morgan Scally, he's a secondary guy. He has this urban connection, but he's never left. And he's been their coordinator for several years, but he's he's been a Utah guy his entire life. Nathan, any Ohio State ideas come up with Morgan Scally at all? Did he did he, did he get asked? Did Ohio State ever talk to you about being a Buckeye? I asked him a version of that question. I asked him. Uh, I said, "Hey," because I started him off with a question about Urban Meyer and just you know what'd you learn from him, etc. and he talked about how when he came in from you know Bowling Green that uh, you know they were coming off like a five and seven season and Meyer said something to him said got him from the team and said like there's only maybe five or six teams in the country that do everything right and you're going to be one of them and uh, that it was just a guy who motivated people in an insane way and um, that you know even the guys on on kickoff if that was all your job was he still made you feel like it was the most important job in the world and. Um, you know, made you take it seriously, but then rewarded you if you did it right. So a lot of the same things that other people say about Urban, um, even even today, even as he's had uh, the problems that he's had recently, they they acknowledge the way that he's been able to motivate people at the college level. But then I followed that up with like, well, you know, your name has come up a few times over the years. Like, have you been have you been paying closer attention to Ohio State than maybe other programs outside the Pac-12? And he seemed kind of bemused that I would bring it up, but then just said. 
you know, I love it at, at Utah and I, I'll, uh, I, I'd love to stay here my whole career or something like that. So there you go. There- they're loyal there. I mean, you know, as people know, obviously, this is a matchup of two head coaches who replaced Urban Meyer. So mm-hmm. Kyle Whittingham took over for Urban Meyer, and here we are. I mean, Urban Meyer, since he left Utah, has gone through Florida a year off, Ohio State two years off, Fox TV, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and Kyle Whittingham's been doing his thing with the Utes. So um, I think it is the kind of – and then there are programs like that. But certainly Utah, I think – they're probably third tier. I mean, if the first tier is that select, select group, right? And again, do you split Bama off as its own tier or not? But if you don't, we know what that top tier is. We talk about it all the time. And then I think that second tier, again, that's where we, I think, have put teams like Penn State and Michigan and LSU and, you know, those, the Oregon, those teams that challenge on a regular. And I think Utah is probably the tier below that. But I think at its best could be in the second tier. I think they might have a like trouble staying there all the time. But the way they've played this year, that that tier. But I do think it is a place where you could have a lot of success doing it your way. And if you love it there, you know it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful place to live. Then maybe you're not super interested in leaving. Uh, what did Morgan Scally have to say about the football game and trying to handle this? Ohio State offense, Nathan. Yeah, and I, I, I sort of started him off with that and, and asked, you know, what do you do when you you just saw a team like Michigan that had great success and and found a way to thwart Ohio State? But, you know, Ohio State has been working for a month to try to, you know, make sure that doesn't happen again. How, are, how much do you try to, you know, take lessons from that game or is it more about staying true to yourself? And, and that was sort of his overall – I think philosophy towards bowl games in general is like, don't try to do too much. They're going to throw some things at you. You haven't seen before. You've got to make sure that you're still fundamentally sound. Make sure you still know how to tackle. Make sure you still know your basic coverage stuff, because if you don't have those fundamentals down, then you can't, you know, do fancy things, especially against a team like Ohio state. Um, But that they, he also said that they have, you know, tried to find every example on the schedule of somebody who had some kind of success defending Ohio state because there were just as everybody has seen, like, and I think it can happen just to, to again, just about any opponent, right? Like there's a, there's a world where there's some scenario where Ohio state could have blown out Michigan. Obviously it did not happen, but like, they're just that kind of talent where if it gets rolling in the right way, if they get the right breaks, if you give them the right breaks, then it can go sideways on you fast. So I think that's maybe their, their main concern is just being sound in a lot of uh, just true to themselves kind of ways and, and letting that be the foundation of how they try to defend Ohio state. They, he doesn't seem very concerned about the guys who are opting out that, you know, he, he obviously, I think playing in Ohio state team that doesn't have Olave and Wilson is an easier team to beat than one that does. But I, you know, he speaks with respect of the guys that are stepping in behind him. I think they know that, you know, they can look at the recruiting rankings that all those guys have had and know that there's, there's underlying talent there. And um, at the same time, you're, you're trying to maybe not worry too much about their individual tendencies, worry more about the, the team concepts and come up with how you're going to defend them based on that. The things that Ohio State does a lot, regardless of who's on the field, that's what you're going to have to prepare for in that situation. Sorry, just trying to think back through everything we, we talked to him about. He, he's, in, you know, very complimentary of C.J. Stroud and, you know, compared him to Justin Herbert, a guy that they obviously faced when, when he was at uh, Oregon. 
before he's obviously gone off to the NFL and had had great success just in terms of, um, you know, the, all the skills he has and the decision making that is uh, obvious with with with, uh, with CJ. So um, I think they understand the, the challenge that they're up against. Obviously, you can just look on paper and see that. Uh, but it also seems like a team that is excited. I mean, as we talked about before, this is a big reward for Utah in a way that it isn't for Ohio State. And this is kind of what bowls are supposed to be about for for most teams, I think, that even if you're out in the national championship, you still achieved your way into a really tough game. And now you get to go you know, try to prove yourself against the, the best team that you'll play all season. Um, I, again, I don't know that Ohio State would say that. I'm not saying that they're not going to be motivated and and ready to maybe win a game. But for uh, Utah, it's clear. Like these are guys. If even if you're a guy like Devin Lloyd, I mean, your NFL future is very secure. But yet you're playing in this game because you want to go up against Ohio State. So Devin Lloyd, let's go to him. One of the best defensive players in the country, first team All American, surefire top fifteen NFL draft pick. Why is he playing in this game? Like was that was that a discussion point? at all today and did he say that he's going to wreck this game we've people have caught we know we talked about how one of the draft guys called him a an angry missile with long arms what's the Devin Lloyd vibe I didn't get over there to to ask him like sort of biographical stuff like why did you know why are you playing in this game I, I that's probably out there um but he uh, I was over there kind of ask him about that philosophy has you know the kind of thing that I was talking about when we did our early preview about how he looks like a guy that wants to make every tackle on the field and he sort of acknowledged that and said that yeah that's the the, the mindset that he plays with that it's it's um the the totality of of trying to just own a game and and from talking to Scally what they want to be able to do with him uh, or what they hope to be able to do with Lloyd is you know, find where an opponent is vulnerable and then use him there. So he's a, I mean, he's going to line up a middle linebacker primarily. And there's a lot that he does well as, as a middle linebacker for sure. But if they see a way to attack off the edge, they're going to do that. They're going to put him in, in those pass rush um, um, groupings and just bring him as a, an edge rusher and, and get at you that way. And, and he's, he's got, got covered skills and, but just his ability to, to, you know, dart to the ball. He, he, he does. I mean, he plays with a certain, and it doesn't come across when you talk to him, which is, I guess, true of a lot of players. I mean, he seems like a pretty normal guy, a fairly cerebral guy, uh, but on the field, it's, um, he's, he's a pretty angry looking guy out there. It's just, it's, it's exactly what I think every team wants in a linebacker, what Ohio state would certainly like to have in linebackers, guys who have that kind of presence. In fact, you could fall short even of Devin Lloyd's presence and still have a pretty dang good linebacker on your team. So that's going to be an interesting contrast. If we talked about before, it's, it's been a season where I, it feels like Ohio state opponents have been putting pretty impressive linebackers on the field at the same time that Ohio state's own linebackers are sort of striving for something and not quite getting there. And this is going to be another, you know, example of that as they're potentially in this moment of maybe some transition in their own linebacker room, either the guys they have coming back, potentially developing, getting better, or, you know, bringing in these freshmen and what kind of impact can they make pretty quickly? All right. One guy I know you did talk to a lot is Clark Phillips, the cornerback who was once committed to Ohio State is one of Utah's best defensive players this year, probably their third or fourth best defensive player. What 
what was the vibe of this sort of you know coincidental situation of winding up playing against Ohio State in this game when he would have been one of the real prizes of Ohio. He's a third year guy, is that right? Would have been a real prize of Ohio State's recruiting class Second. a couple of years ago. What do you have to say? Yeah, because it was signing day of 2019 for the 2020 class. That's a little bit confusing. It was December 2019, like after Halfley had left to go be the coach of Boston College. That's when Phillips flipped and, and went to Ohio State. So that, that might be confusing the way that um, I, if I put it out there on the text that way. But, you know, it, we, these guys often don't necessarily get to ever. I don't know if it ever really comes up this way. It, it's very rare when you're talking about these cross-country things that these uh, – you get to actually sit down and ask a guy about that decision. But um, he said that, you know, when that, when that whole thing went down, we sort of knew it was coming. You know, we could sense that those, those rumblings were happening through the people who cover recruiting. And when it actually happened on signing day, I don't think anybody was, was shocked, but what he kind of wanted to emphasize and you'd take him at his word was just how difficult that decision was. He said he didn't come to a final decision until signing day, that was the day that he had to call Ryan Day and say, sorry, but I, I know I'm leaving you guys high and dry. And he said that that was part of the decision that made it tough because he knew that he was a big part of that recruiting class. And it was he's decommitting on signing day to go sign with someone else. And it leaves a hole there. And as I wrote for something that's already up on uh, cleveland.com slash OSU, that hole is still being felt. I mean, they he started oh, all I five thought. games for... <laughs> He's, oh geez, he started all five games for, started all five games last year. He was a second team, all pac 12 guy this year had, you know, 58 tackles. He's had a pick six each of the last two years. I mean, he would be Ohio state's starting cornerback alongside Denzel Burke in this game. I don't think there's any question. So the whole, the, the, the absence that of, of him decommitting, or flipping, however you want to say it, is still reverberates on this roster. They've never really fixed that gap. And they think they might be close. I mean, maybe it happens next year, but you know, he's the guy now that is sort of this experienced, accomplished defensive back who now you either get to use him to try to match up maybe with Jackson Smith and Jigba, depending on where you line him up, or now it's a very potentially advantageous, I shouldn't say I'm going to say like very advantageous. I think Marvin Harrison Jr. and Julian Fleming and Emeka Booker, obviously all good receivers, as I said before. But from an experience standpoint, from maybe just a savvy standpoint, maybe he is a plus matchup for Utah against those guys on this day when they're still relatively unproven compared to him. So we, you may see this being an impact on 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 Saturday, like or on Sunday on for the game, like. Um, that you know, we're we're wondering how what Ohio State is exactly going to do to try to match up with what Utah does offensively, and Utah has to worry about that uh, too, but not quite in the same way. It's more just like we know who we would put where. Now it's just a matter: of do they win that matchup? All right. Anything else from the defensive side of the ball with Utah that we need to cover before we transition to one last thing here? No, most of what I did was was Phillips and um, and 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 a little time with Lloyd. Uh, so so that was the crux of it. I did talk to um, Noah Sewell's brother, um, who plays for Utah, whose first name is, as usual, escaping me. 
Nephi, I mean, think. Nephi, yes. It, it, it knew it was a little bit uh, different. They're running out of names for football players in the Sewell family because they've produced so many of them. But um, asking him, you know, did you take any did he, any pointers that your brother gave you from, you know, having beaten Ohio State? And um, not not really, but he did say that, you know, that was a game that he was able to, to watch a little bit and saw the impact that his you know brother made. So, um, you know, maybe there's maybe there could be some parallel for him there. that He could come in and have a similar impact. All right. We will take a last quick break. One more thing I want to talk about next on Buckeye Talk. All right. One more thing. So, again, I, I've been putting a decent uh, amount of my energy this week into what's going on in the semifinals. And I just am intrigued by this as I try to figure out what I think might happen in all these games and see if, see if you follow this, Nathan, and we'll get into it more in our picks pod. But I do think the Georgia Alabama game was a bad matchup for Georgia and a good matchup for Alabama. The Alabama Cincinnati semifinal is actually a pretty good matchup for Cincinnati. Now, Alabama has more good players, clearly, But when you get down to position groups and individual matchups and where Cincinnati's best guys are and where Alabama's best guys are, I actually like that matchup for Cincinnati. The Georgia-Michigan game, I like the matchup for Georgia. I do not like the matchup at all for Michigan. The Michigan-Ohio State game turned out you could see why you didn't love the matchup necessarily for Ohio State in that game. That was a pretty good matchup for Michigan in a lot of ways. The Utah-Ohio State game, I don't love the matchup for Ohio State. I, I think there's some tough things here. But if Ohio State had beaten Michigan and if Ohio State was playing Georgia, I actually would like that matchup for Ohio State. There are actually parts of me that like Ohio State's chances against Georgia in some ways more than I like Ohio State's chances against Utah. And it is this sort of domino effect of Ohio State's going to wind up finishing the year with Michigan and Utah when this Georgia-Ohio State game that we were talking about all year was sitting there. And there's just – the bottom line is like Georgia doesn't have a very compelling offense – you know, Bama took advantage of that, but then Bama is going to play Cincinnati with Desmond Ritter and Jerome Ford and Alec Pierce and sort of some things offensively that Cincinnati does. Cincinnati is a great secondary. That's the, probably the weakest of the links in Georgia's great defense. Ohio State absolutely, I think, would have been able to throw over Georgia, but Michigan's not going to be able to do that. Michigan's going to try to run through Georgia and have a hard time, but Michigan could run on Ohio State, and I think Utah's going to run on Ohio State. So I just, Nathan, I've been, as I'm trying to think about these three games kind of in concert with each other, Ohio State just sort of wound up like on the wrong end of this. And if they could have just maneuvered it another way, I, I actually think Ohio State had an opening to win a national title this year. But now that they didn't, I actually think they might have a hard time winning the Rose Bowl, if any of that makes sense to you. No, I, I think because this matchup is getting worse for Ohio State by the day. I mean, Haskell Garrett opting out certainly hurts your run defense. And uh, Anton Jackson was not a practice again today. We assume that means he's probably not playing 
in the game. Uh, Marcus Williamson, also not a practice again today. That's your, you know, a guy who starts at cover safety in large part because of what he can do, helping you stop the run uh, in that spot. Uh, Cody Simon also, as we said, not at practice again today. So, I mean, your, your run defense, if you're Ohio State, is just getting worse as the week goes along. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's not a good matchup for Ohio State. There's been a lot of questions this week that they've been getting. You know, how much does this team remind you of Michigan? And for the most part, I think they've been sort of brushing that stuff off. But if you from a if you from a broad perspective, because Michigan doesn't play, you know, as much thirteen personnel and those sort of things. I mean, they don't they don't structure their offense quite the same way. But when you from take a, a broader view and just the, the physicality that Utah wants to play with, the way they want to sort of control the ball, you know, work effectively in in getting explosive things in space off of sort of the 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 physical run game that they put out there. You know, there are some some parallels between them and, and Michigan. So I, I agree with you that I think it's a a matchup that it could exploit Ohio State's vulnerabilities in a way that even that some teams that are actually better, quote unquote better, um, wouldn't be able to do. But that's the other thing that can be a little bit deceiving with this matchup, too, is that uh, in, in so much as Ohio State um, had its own problems early on, obviously losing to Oregon, but Utah has come a long way and they had a very, um, I mean, they just had a rough start to the year. And they had people had players killed. They lost a couple of games early. They didn't know who their quarterback was yet. Once they finally figured out that it really started them on a, on a different trajectory. So if you look at just over the last 10 games, it's a different team than if you're comparing, if you're looking at Utah for a full season. And I will say the kind of thing, and I, and I keep saying this because I just think it's such an important part of analyzing a game like this when you look at a Utah team and it's like, well, Utah, do they recruit at Ohio State's level? No, of course not. But they have Ohio State-level players at a couple key spots. Cam Rising at quarterback is an Oklahoma-Texas-level player who wound up at Utah. He can run with Ohio State. Tavion Thomas, as we detailed, was good enough to get Ohio State's interest. And if everything would have been straight in other ways, he would have been a Buckeye. You know, these tight ends, there's at least one of these tight ends for Utah as an, F, as an NFL guy. Devin Lloyd on defense is a first-round draft pick at linebacker. He's far better than an Ohio State linebacker. And then their best corner is a guy that Ohio State desperately wanted. So, yes, Ohio State has more talent across the board. But where it matters, Utah has top-level college talent. And, and that gives you a shot. Because sometimes it's like, again, even, even a team like Iowa or something, right? I mean, like Iowa has good players, but they uh, like this year, if Ohio State would have played Iowa, it's like oh, Iowa was number two in the country at one point. But really, when you start going down through it, it's like, okay, well, they don't really have guys who match up. They sort of have, you know, second tier dudes at the skill positions and uh, their corners really that good and their pass rushers or whatever. This Utah team's got the dudes, Nathan, that that they have the style and the scheme and the way they go about it, but they have enough dudes, I think, to absolutely give them a chance to win this game so well, yeah it's funny when you were mentioning the tears that made me the the team that kind of came to mind was iowa that maybe utah was iowa-ish that a team that'll they seem to win like nine games a lot and then like once every however many they'll have that one year that really puts it together maybe it's like a one loss year and they're they're pretty high in the rankings and they're they're making a push to be in the playoff conversation that sort of thing 
And because uh, Iowa did that, like not that not that long ago, they've done it in the playoff era. Um, fell short, but we're we're in that conversation right until the end of the season. So, um, but I think you're right that it's they're not it's not something they can sustain. But as we've seen, like when the Iowas of the world can put the right players in the right spot, Iowa State's vulnerable. And um, they've got a few days left to figure out how to not be vulnerable against Utah. And and I do think it's like, I think Utah is definitely better than like the Iowa of this year. But if we're talking like the Iowa team that beat Ohio State, it was like Josh Jackson at corner, Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson at tight end. Like guys, the guys who made plays in that game for Iowa were NFL players. So it's like, do you have NFL players at key positions who can make game-winning plays? Yes, Utah has that. So then if Ohio State has like higher-rated guys on the offensive line or higher-rated guys at safety or higher-rated guys at, you know, whatever, slot receiver, okay, that's important. But Utah has the, the handful of dudes who can who can win a game like this. Okay, we will get your input. If you just want to be a tech subscriber, just ask a couple questions, 614-350-3315. We'll do a Rose Bowl version of Rapid Fire on the Thursday pod. We will make our picks on the Friday pod. And again, Nathan is turning these stories quick, man. He's he's getting the news out there at cleveland.com slash LSU right away. Then he's going a little more in depth with some of the deeper angles to the game, and he's getting them up the next morning. So if you just go to cleveland.com slash OSU a couple times a day, you will get everything that Nathan is providing. And I'm sure it makes Nathan angry. Again, we have a way at cleveland.com to check which stories are the most read on the site. And the story that has absolutely dominated it was the most read story at cleveland.com on tuesday when i put it up and it remains the most read story on the site on wednesday was tom cruise sending a thank you to the ohio state university marching band for their top gun halftime show earlier this year and inviting them to a special screening of the top gun sequel that is coming out in may top gun maverick he's going to have a special screening in columbus for the ohio state university marching band they put that on twitter on tuesday i wrote a tiny little thing about it and put it up and it's like nathan flew across the country on christmas day is doing all this reporting by himself and tom cruise just crushed all of his stories sorry man you know, uh, what are you going to do? It's, it's, it's the power of Scientology. You can't uh, explain it. It's just, the, it's just the way the universe works. We always talk about that at Cleveland.com. It's like you got to do the crazy little stories when they come along because it's like you never know what people are going to read. But also we will say um, sometimes this bowl season, the readership is down because like people sometimes like to read at work or like during the day. And if you're kind of home or you're doing stuff or whatever, there's not as much, I will say people do seem very interested in this game because what Nathan is putting up, uh, a lot of people are reading those stories as well. And there's some really good content. So I certainly would direct you that way. All right. We'll catch you back here on Thursday for some rapid fire questions for now for Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>